The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the remarkable resilience of stocks, which despite an ever-growing wall of worry, continue to hang in there pretty well. Is that reason to be more bullish? We asked the investment committee today, joining me for the hour, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, John Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check stocks, which are going for a third straight week of gains. We do come on the air, though, today at noon in the east at the lows of the day. The Dow's down a little more than 300, S&P 500 off by one half of 1%. Yields, watching those closely, 245, the yield on the 10-year Look, Joe Terranova, you said, technically speaking, at least, we were going to get to 45.50. We were there. Now what? Where are we going from here now? You don't have the technical edge anymore. So now you're back to relying on fundamentals. You're back to staring at a a yield curve that is, you know, right now for a 2 to a 10 is at 10 basis points, looking like it wants to invert within the next couple of weeks. You're thinking forward towards earnings and you're looking at the price of oil. Oil broke 105 earlier this morning. Now it's bumping back up again towards 108. So you're not going to get the technical breakdown there. So the technical edge has dissipated, Scott, unfortunately. And I think we're kind of back in the running in place mentality uh, where you're going to have to have some form of fundamental catalyst to step forward to advance the market from the levels that we've recovered to right now. So Weiss, Lloyd Blankfein tweeted on Friday night and it got my attention and it said the following. We've had a tsunami of negative news for stocks, crazy high inflation, Fed tightening, rising long rates, commodity shortages, war, trade sanctions, COVID spikes, etc. Many spec stocks weigh down, but the broader market has mostly held up in the face of it all. Kind of bullish. He's right, isn't he? Well, he, he's right in, in, uh, in the facts that he represents. Uh, however, let's look forward. And the market just over the last whatever, you know, five years, given how fast information flows, has tended to discount things immediately. And then when the event that it talks about that's concerned that it references actually happens, then it takes another either leg up or leg down. And I think that's what we're going to see. We've got earnings coming up. We've been in the quiet period. So very few companies really uh, pre-announce. To me, it's going to be a very troubling earnings period. You're going to see revisions downward. You may not see the misses yet, but you will, depending upon how important this last month was. I'm in California. I've been in California for the last week between San Fran, Palo Alto, and L.A., and gas prices are 650 to $7. Those are high. You've got to make the decision. Are you going to spend on discretionary items? Are you going to struggle just to heat your home, just to put gas in your car, to buy food? Food inflation is out of control. So those are the issues that the market's sort of glossing over at this point, giving it a nod initially as it took it down. And I think that's going to be the story going forward, that the market is going to trade in earnings now, and the earnings picture just isn't good. 
So, look, you can play the momentum and say, hey, two great weeks, discounted off a lot. That's true. I'm not a momentum player. I'm looking at the fundamentals, and to me, the fundamentals are not good whatsoever. Uh, I mean, look, you know, Kramer was on uh, with me on Friday night in, in overtime talking about the incredible retracement that we have had from the lows and wondering whether that, as history has suggested from time to time, that it marks a quote-unquote all clear. Let's listen to Kramer with me on Friday, and we can bounce on the other side of it. I thought it was important. There have been uh, 21 times since 1929, so we're going back there, where we had a 50% retracement from the low. And in all 21 times, we were up substantially not that long after. So you're dealing with a historical record which says basically that the bear market that we lived through, and it was a bear market since November, has ended. We are in some weird market that it's a bear market that no one called it as a bear. And I think the bear market is over. I mean, I marked it at the time when he said it. I was like, oh, well, I mean, that's a that's a big call um, because there have been some saying that we have to go back and, and test the lows. We never got the whoosh to the downside that some had been looking for that crescendo. Jenny, what do you make of sort of Kramer, what he said with the context of blank fine and where we are? So I think when you hear Lloyd Blankfein say that's a bullish sign, we need to define bullish. And when we hear Kramer say the bull market, sorry, the bear market's over, we need to define what's on the other side of that. So I think if you're bullish, what does that mean today? Bullish for the past 10 years has meant an annualized return of 16.5%. Bullish for the past three years has meant up 30, up 18, up 27. I, I could say I'm bullish in that I don't think the market's going to go down 20%. I could say I'm bullish in that... Maybe we're kind of flat. Maybe we're up 5%. Is that bullish? If you consider that bullish, then sure, that makes sense to me. When we talk about the crescendo, right, the retesting the lows, Goldman had an interesting piece out over the weekend where they said U.S. households have $15 trillion of cash right now. And so we need to think about all that cash, not only on individual household levels, but also at corporations. And I think that acts as a floor and as a foundation that ultimately supports the market. But then we get into, like, what's bullish? I'm unenthusiastic. Right. I'm fully invested, but I'm cautiously fully invested. I'm unenthusiastically fully invested because I don't think that we're going to have the kinds of returns that we did in the past. And as I've been saying for the last year and a half, there's no easy money to be made anymore. So if you're fully invested, you can't just buy everything. That's not a rising tide's going to raise all ships. You're not going to have your like easy 100 percent returns. You're going to need to be really careful with that. What you can't own anymore is you can't own unprofitable companies. You can't own super high valuation companies. You can't own companies that don't have uh, the ability um, to increase prices because we're in a hard environment. So define bullish. Like, you know, you could be bullish, but it's not it's not the rosy. Hey, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, the maybe, maybe the years. resiliency of the market in and of itself is bullish. Maybe earnings are going to be better than expected. And that could be bullish because it seems like everybody wants to suggest that earnings are going to be a disappointment. Weiss threw out already. It's just a matter of time before the well, negative revisions come in, et cetera. And then there is the other point that I heard Mohammed El Arian make this morning on, on Squawk Box. It's like, all right, what are you going to do? You're going to go to cash, get a negative real return. Where else are you going to put your money somewhere right. else overseas where there's even more risk than maybe here? So that continues to flood the U.S. market with cash. And that is in and of itself, if money is coming in, perhaps a bullish sign. 
And again, what's bullish? Is it up 5%? Is it just not down? Then great. So Steve said earnings are going to be ugly, but I would say define ugly. We started the year off saying earnings expectations should be up 9% on the year. What if earnings end up being up 3% or 4%? That's worse than expectations, but guess what? It's still positive. And in light of all that's gone on from a geopolitical perspective, from a tightening perspective, I would consider that pretty good. So. You know, it's funny, I actually re reflected on the year-end letter that I wrote, and the year-end letter that I wrote to clients said, look, we have a pile of good stuff coming up, we have a pile of bad stuff coming up. It's going to be a hard year. Three months later, I'm in the exact same position that I was in three months ago, which is, it's gonna be a hard year, maybe we're up a little, maybe we're down a little, not super bearish, but I'm not enthusiastically bullish. I mean, look, Joe, it doesn't have to be 16% per year. Right. Or bust, does it? As some have been suggesting lately, flats the new up. Even a little bit down may feel pretty good right, relative to where we started, Joe. Yeah. So I, I like the way uh, Jenny describes the environment, and, and she mentioned non-profitable companies. Well, let's talk about that Goldman Sachs note. And unfortunately, i got to put my glasses on for this, Scott. But since March 15th, you have DoorDash up 50%. You've got Peloton up 40%. You've got Block up 40%. You've got Roblox up 40%. You've got uh, Snowflake up 35%. So you get the point. So these non-profitable businesses are the ones that are really aggressively rallying. I think where we are right here, that risk-to-reward scenario is not in the favor of buying those types of companies. I think now the fundamentals will matter once again, and it's about ownership in a portfolio that's going to kind of look like a portfolio from maybe decades ago. And I think that's where the real alert sound needs to be uh, signaled, because if you're looking at this market right now and you're saying, okay, we're all good with these innovation stocks, we're okay with Roblox and Peloton, I think fundamentally that is going to be a significant misstep. What if we don't have a recession, Steve? Mm -hmm. I mean, people have pretty much written off the, I mean, they're writing it into the narrative already. It's like it's, the ink is, is drying going to have a recession, earnings are going to stink, and the stock market's going to fall under the weight of all of that disappointment as the multiple has to come in even more. You've heard this narrative, and it's definitely out there. It almost feels like it's set in stone, and we have to chip away at it because it's there so firmly now. Well, the issue with, with that is that we won't know that we've avoided a recession uh, for quite some time, just as we won't know that we're in a recession for quite some time, because as you know, it's two consecutive quarters of down GDP. So, so I don't really think you'd focus on that. And the yield curve, an inverted yield curve, has successfully, you know, predicted uh, nine of the last 50 recessions. I mean, you know, it, it just is not the indicator. At best, it's 50-50. And plus, you also have so much borrowed money coming into our debt market. I don't, really don't think you look at it. But Joe points out Roblox, you know, whatever it was, 40% off. But it's still down 100 points from its highs. So the junk tends to rise. I'm not saying it's a junk. I'm saying the most beaten up companies tend to rise the most when markets bounce back. Mm -hmm. Look, my whole thesis is that I'm not getting paid for putting money into the market. I see the risk reward imbalanced at best case. So that means that I'd rather be in cash, and I went from 30% invested to 45% net long. I'll pick my spots on market declines. 
So it's not that I hate the market forever. I just think you have to be very Look, tactical when you put money to work and you can't buy it off. I, and you can't call the end of bear market. Nobody's going to, um, you know, look, it sounds to me that you agree with the Mike Wilson perspective right now more than anything else. And he, he, would, he makes the argument um, in terms of the market, the price is wrong. The price is wrong relative to what is coming in front of us. And that uh, is lower earnings, which has to drive stock prices lower and higher interest rates. And until the market fully reckons with all of that, he's not going to change his view on what he thinks is going to happen. And you sound very much like you're in his camp as well. Well, you know, here's the thing, and I have this sort of debate with myself. Maybe I should just be an index investor instead of a stock investor at this point. Because if you just look at the indices, then things haven't been so bad. But if you're looking at the underlying stocks, you know, on average, you're down 40 to 50 percent. So this is a tough time in the market. So you're always going to have those key stocks, which I own quite a bit of. And I've been able to outperform the indices, you know, not every year but a lot of years. So that's why I stay in stocks. And I think you can outperform the indices going forward if you're the average investor and you do some work, obviously, but you tactically buy when they get really crushed. So that's what I'm looking for. That's why I've added to Volkswagen. And, you know, my hands are bleeding. I bought so much of it. Right. Uh, it went down to 17, 18. So I think that's what you can do. But, yeah, I agree with Mike in some regards. I don't agree with him completely. Um, but I still like technology, but I don't Weiss. like it. I mean, let's be clear. Time. You don't agree with anybody completely. I mean, I would never make <laughs> such a blasphemous <laughs> statement <laughs> about <laughs> you ever. So please, <laughs> please say, take it in context, think, all right? Scott, if, if your comment is that I think for myself and do my own work and I'm, I'm a shepherd, not a sheep, well, then you're absolutely right. And thank you for recognizing Just me. lets people in just a little bit. Can't let people in all the way. That's Steve Weiss. Uh, all right, let's bring in our headliner now. He's Jonathan Krinsky. He's one of the guys saying that we never had the big whoosh down. He's the chief market technician at BTIG. Now I look at your notes. Welcome back. And I feel like you're kind of giving up on that. I don't, I don't think we're giving up on it. I think what we're saying is that, um, you know, you have to recognize the strength that we've had. But it's actually pretty, in our view, consistent with kind of a logical spot to stall and potentially reverse lower. Um, you know, if you look at the highs that we made in the market to the recent lows, a 61.8% retracement is right around where, where we're at right now, around 45.50 on the S&P. Um, and a lot of the issues that we saw under the surface are not really resolved, mainly uh, credit markets, credit spreads have not really confirmed the balance that we've seen. Um, if you look at under the hood, some of the some of the ratios like consumer discretionary relative to the S&P on an equal weight basis is basically churning their 52-week lows. We've seen the home builders uh, break down. And then on the flip side of the coin, what's what's been working? What's been leading? Well, you had mega cap tech, right? Apple, which is arguably defensive. Um, and then you've had stuff like utilities. Utilities are basically at a new all-time high. They're, they've been fighting off... Um, even with interest rates rising. And so, you know, if you look under the hood, it's a little more defensive. And then finally, you know, look, you mentioned you could argue that the resiliency in the market in the face of all of this is, is 
constructive. But the flip side is there's a little bit of complacency moving in. If we look at put call ratios, they're basically back to the lowest that we've seen this year. And so people are now embracing more risk. They're buying more upside calls relative to puts. Um, and to us, that's just a poor risk reward environment right now. I mean, maybe so. But, you know, what's the unknown at this point? I, I read the list from Blank fine, which, you know, you could cite all of this and say, you see, that's why we're going right back lower. That's why you can't trust the fact that we're at the bottom rather than the glass half full and say that all of those signs are actually bullish. And we know all of the negatives. They're already in the market. Right. You can either take a glass half empty view and say, well, the market's ignoring all the risk or you take the other view and say our market knows all this already and goes up in the face of it. Well, yeah, I think that's why you have to look at what what is actually happening in the market. And if you were to just look at the S&P 500, then, yeah, maybe you could say it's it's, you know, kind of looking past some of the negative news. But you have to dig a little deeper and and realize why is the S&P doing what it's doing? And it's because what we mentioned, I mean, Apple was up nine straight days. That's the biggest stock in the market. Tesla, which is the fourth biggest stock in the Nasdaq, is up about 50 percent over the last 10 trading days. And so, you know, you have this big mega cap names. Certainly that's moving the cap-weighted indices up. Um, but again, if you look at credit, look at internals, it's just not really consistent with what you'd see um, in a major new leg higher in risk. I know, but how many times have we said that, though? Right? We were saying the rally, you know, all the way up was too top-heavy, trying to hate on it, and it kept going up. Well, then you have to ask, what you know, what are you owning? I mean, I, small caps are still um, below their their big breakdown level from um, earlier this year. They really, you know, they, they haven't made new lows of, over the last few weeks, but they're not really rewarding you for the upside, right? And so you're, you're not getting rewarded to go out on the risk spectrum. And that's fine. That's what you guys talked about. You know, if you're, an, if you're a, a passive investor, you've been rewarded well. And I don't know, you know, that was part of our, our call that we didn't see the lows is because you didn't see that final um, capitulation that was consistent with, with the FANG names. And I don't know, you know, what's going to you know, cause those to finally succumb. But I think that's really the risk is that, you know, you get a bit of a whoosh down in those mega cap names and you don't see the rotation into the riskier parts of the market. And that's what gets you your final capitulation. I mean, that's always been kind of the risk from the earliest days of the, the rollover or the, you know, the stealth bear market that was rolling underneath the, the surface, excuse me, the surface, but it never really caught up to the mega caps. And that's why you perhaps didn't have an even greater pullback than, than you witnessed. Joe Ternova, you have a question for Krinsky. Uh, do you see any oh, technical signals that that, in fact, you know what? what we got to work right on your feed. I apologize, everybody, but uh, obviously you can hear Joe having a little bit of an issue with your feed. Uh, Steve Weiss, I know you have something for. JK. First, I want to make a halftime report history here. And in light of your prior comments, and just note that I agree with everything that Jonathan said. So there you go. All right. Now Jonathan, he's going to insult you. He's setting you up for something. I know how this I've no, seen no. this movie before. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, just give us your up target and your down target, where you think the market's going to trade between what and what. Yeah, I mean, I th- look, I think it, if you were to look at what the market was like at the end of last year um, and where the S&P was, to us, it seems hard-pressed that we're going to make much upside 
beyond that. And, but really, I think 4,600 is kind of the upper end of the range of what, what we're looking at by our work. Um, and on the downside, look, I, you know, our call for the last two months was that we we're going to break 4,000 on the S&P. You know, we got pretty close to it. Um, a little disappointed we didn't get that final whoosh, which, you know, again, you're going to need those mega cap names to do that. But I still think as we had, you know, throughout the year, as we get into April and May, that's still possible. You know, one of the I things mean, we've anything's looked at, possible, right? Yeah. Anything's possible. Yeah, is, I mean, is it, is it like, is it likely though? Or, I, I or actually not? think it is. One of, the, one of the things we looked at in the last 20 years, there's been 10 years that started the year negative through February. And the, the pattern, the average pattern actually tends to bottom in mid-March, which is exactly what we had this year. And that counter trend rally actually, um, you know, peters out, or, you know, in the April time frame. Right. And so um, we're in that in that counter trend rally. I think funds got a little too um, a little too pessimistic, as probably we did, admittedly. And so we're seeing a lot of unwind in positions. Right. People are taking off hedges they're covering shorts. And I think that's, you know, could last a little bit longer. But again, yeah, we don't see much upside past 4,600 here. And, and what's the thing then that turns turns the screws so that the market starts going down like you think it might? Is it all now predicated on earnings? Because, I mean, other than that, what's the catalyst beyond, of course, not to be silly and suggest that um, headlines out of Eastern Europe couldn't do it in and of itself, but X that really earnings are the catalyst in the near view. And that's really the only thing I can see that that could do it. Yeah. And I think that's spot on. And I think, you know, look, we're, we're not fundamentally based. Um, and so, but what's important to us around earnings is the reaction of the stocks to the earnings. And, you know, it, if they report better than expected numbers and the stocks can't rally on that, you know, that's a sign. Conversely, if, if they miss and they rally, then that tells you maybe the bad news is priced in. So it's going to be an interesting earnings report. You know, I'd also say the setup, the higher we go into earnings, that creates that potential sell the news um, type aspect. But, yeah, I think the next couple of weeks will be pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, um, Joe, are you back? Joe Turnover, can you hear me all right? I hope so. All right, I can hear you too. I sure can, Scott. You, you, you were saying, um, which I couldn't understand anything that you were saying because of your feed, but please start over. Yeah, so I, a quick question for Jonathan. Just basically, you used the word rotation. Uh, do you have any technical confidence that there seems to be a little bit of a rotation right now in the market and that, in fact, it's real? Uh, last five days, you have what were the leaders like energy, financials, and healthcare significantly underperforming some other speculative areas of the market. Uh, what, what do you see in that? Well, it, yeah, I mean, what you guys were talking about off the lows, you saw the worst performing areas of the market rally the hardest. That that appears to have stalled out a bit. Um, again, what's what's been impressive is is kind of the low vol stocks that. The utility is a little the consumer staples in the face of surging rates. Um, and so maybe they're responding more towards the flattening yield curve, maybe to, you know, some concern about some some economic slowdown. So that's been interesting. And then just what I highlighted earlier, the, just the persistent bid in, in mega cap tech, um, which, which, Scott, you know, you're 100 percent right. That's been the case for a long time. I think the last couple of days, though, it kind of speaks to a bit of investors, you know, kind of playing offensively but a little a little scared a little defensive no uh, question look you could make a case that mega cap tech apple microsoft and and whoever um have become the most defensive plays in the market i don't think people would argue so much with with you on that but yet that's another positive out of a negative yeah i mean you have to wonder at what point is is 
you know, is that all in? Is it, is it um, over-owned? I, you know, you go back to the earlier part of the year when the China Chinese tech names were um, imploding, and there was an argument to be made that I was actually bullish for Fang because some of that money, you know, went into the perceived safe haven of, of the Nasdaq. And so, you know, I think that's working. It's it. You could argue it's getting a little crowded at this point, and who's the incremental buyer? Um, you know, we'll see. If a 50% move in the fourth largest name in the NASDAQ, I, I don't think it's sustainable over 10 days, but we'll see. Yeah, we certainly will. Uh, we certainly will. Jonathan Krinsky, I appreciate it. You get us talking Thank as you. you usually do, which, which we like. We'll see you again soon. That's Jonathan Krinsky. Um, you guys aren't even making that many moves, which, you know, Jenny suggests to me that, you know, just in and of, in and of itself, that suggests that people may start to get afraid to continue to buy as stocks continue to move up. Well, I don't I don't think it would suggest that people are afraid to buy. I think it's just suggesting that people are choosier. And this actually goes back to Steve's comment before about saying, hey, maybe I should do indexes and individual stocks. I would argue that now is exactly the perfect best time to be an active manager and start to just be really careful and pick off and choose here and there. You're going to get incredible opportunities. I know, I mean, but I'm, I, I bring it up. Year, but forgive, me, added, yeah. forgive me for interrupting you because I'm looking no, no. at my investment committee moves and next to Jenny, it says none. Right. So if there are all these opportunities out there to pick and choose, where are you picking and choosing? Well, for me this year, as you guys know, I already bought 3M and Foot Locker. Right. So that's a lot of activity for a for a low turnover portfolio where I add like, you know, six names a year. So already in the first two and a half, three months, I've already added two just by picking and choosing. I suspect that we're going to get more and more of that as the year drones on. But that's me. I'm not trading every week. I'm not buying new things all the time. So for me, I feel like I've already had a pretty active year. And I think you're going to continue to get that. I mean, look right, at what happened to Facebook. That's you part of my point. Meta, but that's part of my point is that somebody like you are not looking, to, you're not looking to be that active now because you already were. And maybe now is not the most advantageous time to be buying a lot of different things. Right. I feel like we're, ta- we're I feel like you're saying two different things. I mean, for me, I feel like I've been more active this year than usual, but I'm lower turnover than anyone else on the panel. For sure. For sure. But I know you're, you're suggesting that you can pick and choose and be choosy, but you're not being picked. You're not being that because you've already bought all the stuff that you want to buy and you have a low turnover, et cetera, et cetera. Steve Weiss. Um, OK, good point. Thank you. But wait, can I say one more thing on that? But yeah. for right now, my yeah. watch list of what I expect to buy in the next couple months is more robust than it's been probably in almost the past two years. Oh, see, so that's what I'm trying I've to get been, at. You know, yeah. And I can't I can't say what those are, but I'll say it's like, you know, some shipping companies, some energy companies, like metal companies. There's all sorts of stuff out there. And I think the research process, unlike 2021, where it was all fast and furious, now you can you can actually take time, breathe, research change the portfolio. I suspect that over the next six months, there will be more activity um, than there was maybe even 2021. There's a there's there's just dislocation this year and that creates opportunity. OK, um, we got there. Right. Sometimes it just takes us a little bit, <laughs> but we get there. Steve Weiss, I'm not putting any more money into the market, you said to our producers this morning. You're looking to be more of a seller than a buyer, and I've got some things that you are selling, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, uh, but that pretty much sums you up. I'm not putting any more money into the market. Well, as I said before, tactically, I would, and uh, I do agree with Jenny that it's time to be an active manager. I think it always is time if you can do it, but no, look, it, it, when things fall out of bed or when the market flushes, that's when I go to work and buy some things. 
typically I've been adding and really concentrating my positions more in stocks where I've done significant work. Mm-hmm. And frankly, if I love them at, uh, you know, 20%, 30%, 40% higher, then it's kind of foolish not to buy them 40% lower. All right. So let me do this. So you buy on the way down. Let me take a quick break. Let me come back, talk about semi-stocks pulling back over uh, 10% this year. Goldman Sachs is cutting its targets on a few big names now. We're going to trade those in our call of the day. We'll do it next. I do have some trader moves to talk about relative to that. We're back in two minutes. Dow's down 267. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm Frank Holland. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The second of two flight recorders from the Boeing passenger plane that crashed in southern China has been found nearly a week after that disaster. Those two black boxes could help investigators determine what caused that plane to plummet 29,000 feet, resulting in the deaths of all 132 people on board. Israel's prime minister, Naftali Bennett, tested positive for COVID ahead of a summit in Israel with Middle Eastern leaders. Now, this comes just one day after Bennett was seen maskless during a joint news conference with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Back here in the U.S., President Joe Biden's approval rating falling to 40 percent amid war and inflation fears. That's the lowest level of his presidency. According to an NBC News poll, seven in 10 Americans express low confidence in the president's ability to deal with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And the U.S. Capitol reopening to the public today for guided tours after a two-year hiatus due to the pandemic. The change comes just weeks after mass requirements were also relaxed inside the Capitol. That's the very latest. Scott, back over to you. Frank, appreciate that, Frank Holland. Goldman Sachs today has downgraded several semi-stocks. They cite the challenging economy among the names. Teradyne downgraded to neutral. That's from buy. The price target goes to 127 from 149. Jenny, you own that. 
Right. And we actually agree with this call on Goldman. They're saying that semiconductors are, sales are cyclical, and that's 100% true. With respect to Teradyne, we think that's already priced into the stock. So you've got it down 26% year-to-date. It's trading at 18 times 23 earnings. 23 earnings should grow at about 9%. We've owned this stock since 2013 at $16 a share. We actually trimmed it like a year and change ago at 140 added to it six months ago, exactly where it is now, 121. This is a really long-term holding with unbelievable long-term growth prospects. And just like with the broader market, we're willing to roll with the, with the cycle. So, you know, sometimes you'll have a recession, sometimes you'll have an expansion. That's true for the market and for stocks. We're fine with our Teradyne holding. Okay, so let's it. talk about AMD. Removed by Goldman Sachs from the conviction buy list. They still have it as a buy, so keep that in mind. The price target to 127 from 159. Joe, you bought AMD, so you are putting some money into the market. You own AMD in the Joe T. This is in your personal portfolio, is that right? Correct. So we already knew that the comps were going to be challenging for AMD as we move through 2022, and that's really what is highlighted in this note. Uh, What I find in my portfolio is that through the last several weeks, I really have not been going out and buying a lot of technology companies. I haven't been very active in some of the more higher valuation companies. So wanting to be respectful of that, I did have AMD and I also have Amazon on my list as well of names that I wanted to add to. And I felt as though in the last several days, you saw a tremendous opportunity to get into a reasonably valued growth technology stock. Um, And I think the expectations have been reset. We're understanding of that. I think there's upside potential as we move forward over the coming quarter. So I began to build personally a position. I will add further to that position on declines in AMD, but I'm comfortable owning both NVIDIA and AMD. I think that's the right uh, semi-cyclical exposure. Okay. Uh, Steve Weiss, I see that you sold the semis which I'm going to ask you to tell our viewers why. I was literally just handed a note from J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic. We cite him a lot. He publishes a lot at this time. You talk. I'm going to read, and then I'm going to give you the highlights of what Marco just dropped on the market. Go ahead. Okay, so All right. So I, I bought the SMH to uh, get exposure to the market, and that's how I've been doing it, whether the SMH or the Qs uh, or some other ETF because my net exposure is low. So when I feel the market tactically is going to move, I don't do it often because it's very difficult to predict market moves. When you see massive momentum, as you did last week, I bought the SMH. I sold part of it, a good part of it, at a nice profit. I sold the remainder at a loss. As you may recall, I sold Corvo and Skyworks a couple of weeks ago because discretionary spending, in my view, which includes the iPhone, is going to decline. And in the, in the uh, press today, we saw speculation that Apple has cut their production by 20%. Skyworks, 50% of their business comes from Apple, so it will impact them. Corvo's also in the iPhone. So that's why I sold. So there's certain areas that are cyclical, very cyclical, and there are certain areas that, like on semi, which is my sole remaining semiconductor, said they're sold out for the year. So that's why I'm comfortable owning on and why I sold the others. Okay. I'll be back. They're all high-quality companies. So let me put this into context here, Marco Kalanovic. We have read to you on numerous occasions how Marco has put out notes at the darkest, some of the darkest times in the market and suggested that the market's too negative. 
that too much negativity was built into the market and that you should buy the dip. And then even if interest rates had risen up to a specific level, it wasn't necessarily a blow to stocks. Now Marco Kalanovic is out with a note that says Fed rhetoric and yield curve becoming concerning. But a near-term recession, he says, is unlikely. Though we expect higher yields given strong inflation and labor markets, we remain tactically neutral, awaiting a better entry point. So that's Marco Kalanovic. And it goes to the point that I was making, I think, with, with Jenny, you a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. is the better entry point. And the fact that you've run so far so fast from the lows that buyers at some point may dry up because they deem what Marco sees in some respect. It's not a great entry point after as far as we've come. Is there something to that? Well, I think it gets back to the definition of bullish, where he says we're kind of neutral. And after the run that we've had for the past decade, kind of neutral sounds pretty good to me. I think there is something to that. And it is your point exactly that you're making with me before. Like, there are better entry points. I'm not sure that there will be a broad market better entry point. And this gets back to what you were talking about with Jonathan Krinsky. What if there's not a whoosh down? And you know what? I'd argue that there won't be a broad market whoosh down because I think that $15 trillion of individual cash, the corporate cash, the resilience of those FANG stocks, which, by the way, they are down on the year, but they're not down that much. I think all of that creates this floor. So I don't think we have a broad market whoosh. I don't think you wait broadly for a big entry point. But I think this this dislocation that we're seeing between sectors, within sectors, between stocks, you're going to get your points of entry. So you just need to be really patient and really strategic and tactical this year. I'm not suggesting either, Steve, that, you know, Marco is, is all of a sudden sounding any kind of alarm. He's this doesn't appear to be a, a negative note. Um, and certainly the tone doesn't appear to be that way either. It's just at some point, if you keep telling people to add on weakness, maybe at some point the entry point becomes less attractive. And perhaps after we hit 4550 on the S&P, considering where we were, it just becomes a less attractive place to start adding more risk. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, if, if I recall, uh, Marco uh, a few weeks ago was very bullish uh, with the market at this level. So what's changed in his note is that he's focused on the Fed. He's focused on the yield curve. And you know, if I took issue with what Jenny said, I would say that the cash levels in the household hasn't changed much since the market and individual stocks were 50% higher than they are now. So I wouldn't count that coming in from the sideline against your point, Scott, with how the market has bounced the indices. Lots of stocks are still at their lows are not far off. So there could be opportunities. My bet is that you get the opportunity on another decline in individual stocks. And you do, you know, you do continue to have this debate as to whether bonds are now more attractive than stocks. People have made that at least over the last couple of weeks. Um, and maybe this sort of plays into a little bit of that narrative, too, as, as we have that kind of a debate. Uh, I, Jenny, I know you want to say something. I'm, I'm afraid you can't. I'm sorry. I have to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back in a second. I'm going to tell you about the ETFs you need to watch. Uh, we're back right after this. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. A new actively managed ETF launched just this week to join the crowded list of tactical ETFs that move in and out of asset classes. Can you really do this successfully? Let's talk to an old friend, Katie Stockton from Fairlead Strategies, who just launched the Fairlead Tactical Sector ETF. 
great to see you down here in person. It's been a you couple too, years. Bob. It has been. Are it's you, a little quieter than it used to be. Yes. <laughs> what are you trying to accomplish with this new ETF? Well, I, I'm trying to help people employ technical analysis in a systematic fashion. So I think we all embrace technical analysis and the values of it for market timing, for risk management. Uh, but we struggle with employing it in a systematic way. And that, I think, is how you really succeed in using the charts. So we've done that. We've built a model using our methodology. And that model, uh, over time, it, you know, it's allowing us to leverage the upside in the equity market while also minimizing drawdowns. You're focusing on momentum, oversold readings, et cetera. And you trade S&P sectors, treasuries, gold, cash equivalents, right? That's right. So the focus really is on the sectors, first and foremost. We want to leverage the upside momentum and sector leadership. We're rotating among the sectors and making sure that we're exposed to the ones that have that long-term upside momentum. Yeah. So the problem here is there's more than a dozen of these tactical ETFs. They trade in and out of asset classes. It's hard enough to trade stocks in and out. But when you're dealing with different asset classes, it really gets difficult to do. What kind of edge do you have over the competitors? Well, I think it is. It's the technical edge, for one, using these mathematically based indicators that will keep you honest. They tell us when long-term momentum has shifted enough to dictate that repositioning. The sector leadership piece is another differentiating factor that allows us to leverage the upside when the market is trending strongly. And when it gets into some kind of range-bound environment or downdraft, that's where we start to see movement in the model from those sectors into gold, treasuries, and cash. And it's also that balance that we strike on that front that allows us to outperform. Okay. It's the Fairlead uh, Tactical Sector Fund. Symbol is T-A-C-K. Katie, great to see you again. You now, coming too. up on ETF Edge, U.S. regulators are getting worried that retail investors may be getting in over their heads trading complex products like leverage and inverse ETFs, options, even Bitcoin futures ETFs. They are warning the brokerage community to be careful about recommending the products and asking whether more regulation is necessary, such as should retail traders be required to take a test before they're allowed to trade these products? My guest coming up, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, attorney Thomas Gorman from Dorsey & Whitney, Dave Nautic, financial futurist at ETF Trends, Kim Arthur, CEO of Maine Management, ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime, back right after this. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. A new actively managed ETF launched just this week to join the crowded list of tactical ETFs that move in and out of asset classes. Can you really do this successfully? Let's talk to an old friend, Katie Stockton from Fairlead Strategies, who just launched the Fairlead Tactical Sector ETF. Great to see you down here in person. It's been a you couple too, years. Bob. It has been. It's are a you, little quieter than it used to be. Yes. <laughs> what are you trying to accomplish with this new ETF? Well, I, I'm trying to help people employ technical analysis in a systematic fashion. So I think we all embrace technical analysis and the values of it for market timing, for risk management. Uh, but we struggle with employing it in a systematic way. And that, I think, is how you really succeed in using the charts. So we've done that. We've built a model using our methodology. And that model, uh, over time, it, you know, it's allowing us to leverage the upside in the equity market while also minimizing drawdowns. You're focusing on momentum, oversold readings, et cetera. And you trade S&P sectors, treasuries, gold, cash equivalents, right? 
That's right. So the focus really is on the sectors, first and foremost. We want to leverage the upside momentum and sector leadership. We're rotating among the sectors and making sure that we're exposed to the ones that have that long-term upside momentum. Yeah, so the problem here is there's more than a dozen of these tactical ETFs. They trade in and out of asset classes. It's hard enough to trade stocks in and out, but when you're dealing with different asset classes, it really gets difficult to do. What kind of edge do you have over the competitors? Well, I think it is. It's the technical edge, for one, using these mathematically based indicators that will keep you honest. They tell us when long-term momentum has shifted enough to dictate that repositioning. The sector leadership piece is another differentiating factor that allows us to leverage the upside when the market is trending strongly. And when it gets into some kind of range-bound environment or downdraft, that's where we start to see movement in the model from those sectors into gold, treasuries, and cash. And it's also that balance that we strike on that front that allows us to outperform. Okay. It's the Fairlead uh, Tactical Sector Fund. Symbol is T-A-C-K. Katie, great to see you again. Now, coming up on ETF Edge, U.S. regulators are getting worried that retail investors may be getting in over their heads trading complex products like leverage and inverse ETFs, options, even Bitcoin futures ETFs. They are warning the brokerage community to be careful about recommending the products and asking whether more regulation is necessary, such as should retail traders be required to take a test before they're allowed to trade these products? My guest coming up, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, attorney Thomas Gorman from Dorsey & Whitney, Dave Nautic, financial futurist at ETF Trends, Kim Arthur, CEO of Maine Management, ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime, back right after this. It's time now for Unusual Activity. John Najarian joins us on the phone today. What are you seeing, Doc? Well, Scott, and thank you for your patience there. Um, Snowflake, S-N-O-W. Uh, the stock was about 229, Scott, and they were buying upside calls, 240s, 250s, even 260s, uh, with this week as the expiration on those. So all three of those actively purchased. I was buying the 230s. And I hope to sell higher strikes against it as it rallies. Second one, Ralph Lauren, RL. The April 120 calls with the stock at around 115 and change. Big buys there, I think 3,000 all in one single print, perhaps. And good buying in both of these. Uh, I joined them. Uh, Snowflake is a new position, as is RL for me. All right, Dr. J, appreciate it. Sorry about your feed, but we'll have you back. You know we will. Tesla shares are moving higher today. It said to uh, seek to split its stock again. We'll talk about that trade. We'll talk about the implications next. Welcome back. Take a look at shares of Tesla today. Nicely higher by 7%, reportedly looking at doing another stock split. Steve Weiss, you sold your Tesla calls last week. So they appear that they're going to ask shareholders for more shares so they can do a split. They've done a split before. It led to, at least I think in part, it led to a huge gain. Uh, What about now? Well, if you recall, the reason why I said I bought them was because the market wasn't really noticing, giving everything else that was happening in the market, that they opened the Germany plant and that it was going to increase production measurably. So that's why I bought them. And when it began to reflect it, and I sold the calls. They were up nearly 200%. Uh, I thought it was a great trade. So congratulations to everybody who predicted they were going to circulate uh, commentary today about splitting the stock. 
That just wasn't part of my thesis and not part of my discipline. So that's why I sold them. Of course, I wish I had hung on, but I didn't. So uh, I'll take the prop and go home and have no regrets. You know, again, though, as, as we talk about not not so specifically to is Joe. Joe is back now. I don't know. Joe's there. He's not there. He's there. He's there. All right. Joe's back. Joe. You own Tesla in the Joe T. Hi, Scott. I know you're having a problem with your feed, too, and I, I apologize, everybody. Um, your take on this move, if in fact it happens. Consistent with Alphabet, Amazon, following the model, August of 2020, they split the stock. I heard you mention the share appreciation after that. I think it was about 700%. Uh, look, just today alone, you've basically added the, the market cap value of, of Ford, nearly 80 to $90 billion. So I don't see any negative in it, for sure. Um, it's, you know, it it's, it's signals a positive step. And again, it's just an overall shareholder friendly, investor friendly type of psychology uh, that a lot of these mega cap equities right now are, are currently operating with. Yep. Uh, $1,084 uh, shares of Tesla. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Hope you'll join me four o'clock Eastern for closing bell overtime. Let me ask you this question. What if you had to take a test before you were allowed to buy a certain kind of ETF? Sound crazy? Well, one regulatory agency may be thinking about such a thing, which is why we will discuss that controversial story at four o'clock today in overtime. Final trades right now. Jenny Harrington, you're first. Foot Locker. It was downgraded today, a downgrade that was based on completely old news from a month and change ago. So now the stock's down 3%. You can buy it. It's got a 5.4% yield, trades at six times earnings, and has a buyback authorized for almost half the market value of the shares. So take the gift and buy the stock. Take a cue from Nike's earnings? Um, I mean, it's kind of unrelated what's going on. I mean, Nike's earnings are unrelated with why the downgrade was, which is Nike reducing their exposure to Foot Locker. But that's month old news. Okay. Jenny, thank you. Joe T. So my final trade comes directly from watching over time. You had a guest on who articulated ownership of Prologis, a REIT. I own that in Joe T. I also own public storage, PSA. That is at an all-time high today. It's in Joe T, and it's going to continue to move higher. Somebody's lobbying to try and get back on overtime, I think. We'll have to see how that works out. <laughs> Steve Weiss. You don't need me. Don't <laughs> Delta Airlines. Look, the stock is cheap based upon what they're going to earn going right. forward. I think Travis is going to pick up quite a bit. And discretion, if I'm wrong, right. you can own Delta. Good stuff. Right. Thanks, guys. I'll see you in OT. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.